In the months after I'd auditioned for him, I would run into the legendary theater director Sigismund Blondi at the movies, near empty Thursday matinees of indifferent first-run films, North Country, Wedding Crashers, in the decaying venues of the Upper East Side, where we both lived. The Crown, the Clearview, the Gemini. Big rooms chopped into asymmetric halves or quartered through the balcony. Blondie saw a movie every afternoon, he said, and could provide scrupulous evaluations of any title you'd ever think to mention. Largely dismissals, though I do recall his solemn approval of A Sound of Thunder, a time travel film with a Ben Kingsley performance he'd liked. I'd see Blondie when the lights came up, alone, red scarf and pale, elegant coat unfurled on the seat beside him, long legs crossed, unashamed, already hailing me if he spotted me first. Blondie dressed in dun and pastel colors, wore corduroys or a dancer's Indian pants. In winter, he had holes in his knitted gloves, in summer a cheesy Panama hat. He towered, moved softly and suddenly, usually vanished at any risk of being introduced. Soon I'd scan for Blondie whenever I entered a theater, alone or not. Often enough, I'd find him. We never sat together. If this multiplex-haunting practice didn't square with Blondie's reputation as the venerated maestro of a certain form of miniaturist spectacle, Crap's last tape in the elevator of a pre-war office building, which moved up and down throughout the performance, with Blondie himself as Crap, for cramped audiences of five or six at a time, it didn't matter, since that reputation hardly thrived. I'd auditioned, talked with him, really, for a role in a repertory production of several of Kenneth Koch's 1,000 avant-garde plays. Diane Wiest sat with us in the back room of the Soho Italian restaurant in which the Koch cycle was to be staged, and where this evaluative tete-a-tete took place. She followed our conversation soberly, her unexplained presence typical of Blondie's zealot-like infiltration of the city's culture. Within weeks, I'd learned that Blondie'd had a falling out with the restaurant's proprietor, stranding the enterprise. I'd waited, expecting some revival of the project, for months. Eventually, I assumed I'd been replaced and kept half an eye on the times for a notice of the thing. But the coke never surfaced, nor did anything else. Maybe Blondie's run was over, or on hiatus in some deep, ruminative lag. And then, in the months that followed, he gradually became my movie-going doppelganger. The ritual was made official the first time he invited me out for a glass of red after the movie, as though that were the real point of the afternoon. We'd sit at some Madison or Second Avenue wine bar in the dimming hours, invariably alongside those waiting for their dinner dates, those who made even me feel old. Whether Blondie ever felt old, I couldn't guess. His grandiosity, his U-turn anecdotes, his contempt for the obvious statement didn't invite such guesses, only the tribute of gratified awe. I gave it. Blondie was like a skater up his own river, a frozen ribbon the rest of us might have glimpsed through trees from within a rink where we circled to tinny music. The first time we left a movie theater together, before even finishing a glass, I told him I had quit acting. Blondie's intimate smile seemed to say, not unsympathetically, 
that it was all for the best. We rarely talked about the film we'd just seen. Instead, we discussed great works. The Rothko Retrospective. Fassbinder's Berlin Alexanderplatz. Durrell's Alexandria Quartet. Whatever formed his present obsession. After two or three glasses on an empty belly had made me dizzy, Blondie never showed any effects, we'd part on the sidewalk. By the time it occurred to me that I hadn't seen Sigismund Blondie in a while, I couldn't have said how long a while was. Four months? Eight? It seemed to me he'd been in holy gloves and red scarf mode the last time we'd slipped from a theater to a bar, but that didn't narrow it down much. We were headed back to scarf weather now. Maybe Blondie had summered somewhere, Provincetown, and decided not to return, enlisting some local company to mount spectacles in a dock worker's bar or a bowling alley's lounge. Sig Blondie, big fish in a small pond? I knew no more consummate New Yorker, so I started to worry. <laughs>